This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Well, guys, this is our 14th prayer conference. It's our 24th year of domain prayer. 24 years ago, God gave me a vision and, and a word called domain prayer. He told me 12 different domains that we should be praying in. And uh, little did I know that there were other people around the world getting similar revelation. And uh, so we started domain prayer. Only later did I meet some people that had something called the prayer mountains, uh, and they, they call it 10 domains or 10 areas of prayer, the 10 mountains. I said, well, or seven. I, I don't know if it's seven or 10, but anyway, uh, it all fluctuates. But it's the same thing. It's, it's what God was saying in that season 24 years ago. And, and uh, I, I want to commend our prayer department. I want to commend Pastor Nikki and her team for 24 years of faithfully praying. Amen? And then for us to have 14 years of this prayer conference, and our prayer conferences are very well attended. And, uh, you know, even this year, uh, we had a great number last night. And, and uh, you know, again, we have many of our leaders here. This is a great time for our leaders to come together. I would love to see more people attend in the day sessions. Uh, I think weather is a great factor right now, but uh, encourage people. Get on your phones and encourage them because I think there's nothing that takes the place of being together. The enemy has come against us to try to keep us from being together. Uh, and, and you can call it whatever you want to, but you know, whenever there's division, you know it's the enemy. Whenever there's a, something that causes us to be split apart, you know it's the enemy. And uh, you, know, you, can, you can call it what you want, but it's sent by the enemy to force the church into some kind of a bad position. And with that in mind, I want to take the next two mornings and I want to talk to you about what I think is the essence of real prayer. And I think sometimes we, be, you know, especially charismatics and Pentecostals, I mean, we, we have gotten so far off the beam with prayer. I mean, I've seen people praying thinking they're going to change God. How many of you know God changes not? How many of you know your, change, your prayer does not change God? And, and now, I'm not saying you can't change God's mind because we see in the Bible that Moses changed his mind and there's things that can happen. But I think that we get way, way out there. Sometimes I think that our prayers miss the mark. And I want to kind of bring us back to a, a, a kind of a foundation of what I think prayer is. You know, the Bible says this. Jesus taught us. He said, uh, you know, he was questioning a lawyer and he said, what are the the greatest commandments. He said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your whole, with, with all your heart, all your mind, all your, uh, all, all your soul and all your strength. He says, that's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, this, in this is all the law and the prophets. In this, in, these, in those two commandments. And I think if we get too far beyond those two commandments, we sometimes end up in a place where we become either extra-biblical or unbiblical, and we can get into error. We sometimes think that prayer is to force God's hand to give us what we want or force God's hand to do something. Look, God's hand is for you. He has a hope and a future for you, and He has a timing for you. And I want to deal with that, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, dig through some Scriptures. And this may be a little laborious for some of you. Some of you want to be, you know, revved up and this is going to be teaching. It's going to be more of a line-by-line, line, let Scripture interpret Scripture. That's not always fun for some of you because you, you know, you've been so conditioned to hype and to, woohoo, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Well, I, I hope you'll be able to say hallelujah, praise the Lord at the end of this. Amen? 
So the, 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 the title of my message is Prayer, or the essence of why we pray, the essence of why we pray. And First John is my text, First uh, John 5, verses 13 through 17, and we'll get back to this, but I'm going to go on a little detour. It says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. If any man sees His... Now listen, a lot of us like to stop right there, but He didn't stop right there. Listen to what He says. If any of us, if any man sees his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, you shall ask... And he shall give life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. This ministry, Celebration Ministries, has always been based on the power of faith. We've had a strong commitment to being men and women of faith, trusting in faith. The Bible says this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith and prayer go hand in hand. You cannot pray without faith. In fact, the very act of prayer is an act of faith. The very fact that you're praying means that you have faith. See, we trust God to hear and to answer our prayers. The very action of prayer demonstrates our faith. It demonstrates our dependence on Almighty God. Another one of the marvelous marks of the new birth is an inside track that God has given us with Himself, with the God of the universe. Uh, When you're born again, the Bible says that we have bold access to go into the throne room of grace to find help in our time of need. You know, we have a most magnificent promise regarding answered prayer. And, and, and John repeats this basically identical promise nine times in his writings. This promise has to do with prayers on behalf of our sinning brother. Now, I'd never seen this before because uh, I think I'd seen it, but I'd never seen the emphasis of it, that how important it was that we pray. I've always said one for another, but for the sinning brother. What does the Bible say we should do when we see a loved one committing an obvious sin? Now, there's many things we could do, but the first port of call is prayer. The first port of call is prayer. How how many of you have found yourself seeing a brother sin, and and instead of praying for him, you ostracize him, or you condemn him, or, or being so righteous, you go confront him? I'm not saying we shouldn't confront sin. I'm not saying we shouldn't expose sin. I'm saying the first port of call is, the Bible says, pray for him. These things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that the requests which we have asked from Him are granted to us. 
Man, I don't know. I think that's something to meditate on. I think that's something we need to get a hold of. And the context of that, he goes on to say, is to pray for the sinning brother. As a child of God, we have this assurance that God, we have God's ear. We get to, we know God will hear us. And, 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 you know, what a confidence that He hears my prayers. See, why would you pray if you didn't think you heard? Not only does He hear us, but He promises to grant our request. These are the, these, these words, by the way, are, are, are all present tense verbs. Present tense verbs. And they indicate a continuous state of asking. You know, in, in, in the Bible, Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. That, that's what the literal translation is. And, and, and that's what this is. It's an asking and keep on asking. It's not a one-time prayer. It's something you, if you see your brother sin, you ask and you keep asking and you keep praying and you keep putting pressure on because our warfare is not natural. It's spiritual. You know, I think of my own brother now who died recently of alcoholism. <sighs> And I only wish I had prayed more for him. See, you know, when the Bible says this type cometh out only by prayer and fasting, uh, you know, I'm beginning to understand that sometimes we need the prayers of the saints to help people through their hard places. And so uh, I want you to have this in mind. This is the, this is the kind of the template that I'm going to be moving from. And now now let, me, let me step back and kind of give you a prayer perspective before we launch deeper into that. So prayer as a whole, was never intended to be viewed as what I call parachute prayers, a parachute that's open in case of emergency, you know, uh, foxhole prayers. Have you, you, know, you know what those are? You know, during the war here, I, I used to meet with a number of the soldiers, and uh, there was kind of a saying that went around. There's two people you cry out to when you're being under fire, and mother can't help. <laughs> and, and, and so sometimes we pray these parachute prayers. We don't pray until we're in such desperate conditions that we, we need God to now come through for us. Neither is prayer the criminal heart cringing before an unmerciful judge. I think often we get that picture of, hey, if I, if I, I've got to go before, I'm such a, a terrible person. And, and we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. And we, unfortunately, you know, uh, we do feel condemned sometimes. We do feel beat down. But we are not criminals. We are sons. Amen. And we have fallen short of the grace of God. And we need to take advantage. He says, if you're faithful and to confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So prayer is really a dependent child. Conversing with a loving father, expressing admiration, gratefulness, explaining his present need for help for himself, his family, his friends, his community, and his nation. And, and, and I think that if we don't get that disposition right, that we go before God as our Father, which art in heaven. That's why Jesus taught us, our Father, which art in heaven. We go as a child. He's our Father, and we are the children. That's our position before God. If I put it simply, prayer is a continual communication between a needy creature, you and I, and a loving creator who is our Heavenly Father. Now, I hope you're adjusting yourself. Because if you don't see yourself in that position, I mean, I hear some of the prayers of some of the saints, and I wonder who God is to you. 
I mean, I go to prayer meetings, and I, sometimes I want to tap you on the shoulder and say, what are you doing? Why are you praying like that? Why, what, what are you trying to accomplish here? You see, our moments in prayer should never become an obligation. I did that for a season. I had to pray. I mean, and I had people on my staff and people around me saying, you know, you don't pray enough. And, and boy, I'd get up every, and, I, and I'll tell you what, there's times you have to be disciplined in prayer. You get up and you pray, not because, but it's not a duty. It is a discipline. But if it's a dread, you've missed the whole point of why we're praying. Our moments in prayer can't become an obligation. We need to be careful that prayer does not become a meaningless ritual either. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and often our prayers were meaningless rituals. We would pray the rosary. And it wasn't praying the rosary, it was seeing how fast we could pray the rosary. And the rosary was five decades. Five, so you have to say ten Hail Marys, and, or three, I forget what, the, I can't even remember what it was, but then one Our Father, and you know, four Glory Bees, and, 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 he'd pray, and he'd pray the beads, and you'd go around the, the rosary, and, and as fast as you could, and I, I got it down to about 15 minutes, you know, and, but it, it, was a, it was a ritual that I hated. Oh, we'd get in the car to go on a trip, and my, my mother would take out the rosary bead. Let's play one decade of the rosary. Oh. And it meant nothing to us. It was just dead ritual to me. Now, I love God, but I didn't know Jesus, so I didn't understand all that. Today, I will pray on any trip I go on, the first hour I pray. And I've trained our church to do that. You know, we pray not out of fear, we pray out of respect. We pray for protection. We pray that God guides our steps, that God orders us. And I, I would suggest as pastors that you lead your men and you lead your church and you lead your disciples into seasons where they have not ritual, but regular disciplines of prayer. Travel's a good time to pray. Uh, seeking God on, you know, issues concerning ministry is a good time to pray. Jesus taught us that meaningless repetition doesn't impress God, nor does it bring results. He says, don't be like the heathen who by their much praying think that they're heard of God. God doesn't need you to pray a lot. He just needs you to connect with him. We should view prayer as a privilege, something we desire to do because of the goodness of God and the greatness of our own need. There's times I desire to pray long and hard because of the heaviness of my heart. Our heart requires that because we linger longer because we need to share the deepest hurts. We're seeking His dynamic help. There's times I've prayed many hours before the burden lifted, before the, you know, but then there's other times uh, we pray longer because we want to pray longer, not because somebody proclaimed that long prayers are more effective or more spiritual. And I used to really struggle, and I still do. I struggle with all-night prayer meetings. It's like you know, in Africa, we have all-night prayer meetings, like something magical happens if we pray all night. <laughs> See, I would much rather have effective prayer meetings, and if they last all night, all the better. I'm not against praying all night. What, I am, uh, what, I, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm worried about is when we pray all night and half of you are falling asleep. You should be at home in your bed sleeping rather than on the floor of the church. But all night prayer, oh, there's a, ooh, 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 
something spiritual that happens there, right? See, prayer should be as natural and invigorating in our communication with God as it was to communicate with your spouse in your early days. Do you remember the courtship that you had with your spouse in those early days? Ah, you got excited and you, whew, you could stay up all night talking. Oh, 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 oh. oh. And, 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 and you just loved what you felt in your heart towards each other. Oh, it was amazing, right? How many of you can remember back that far? Yeah. When did that stop? You need to come to our, marriage, our, our, our Married for Life course, okay? What's it called? Oh, Love for Life. Yeah, well, it's the same thing. Married for Life, Love for Life. Okay. See, we need to enkindle that, restart that. We need to have those feelings again. See, prayer is not like a forced daily one-hour conversation with the principal or, or, or the boss that you'd much rather avoid. How many of you just hate that meeting every day or every week that, oh, the boss has called me? Oh. And you go into the boss, and it's like, oh, if I get through this hour, then I can go back and do something important. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you view prayer that way. Okay, i got to get my hour in in front of the boss. Or what? Or what? Or he won't bless me or something, something awful. See, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a wrong attitude. See, prayer is a treasured moment with a beloved friend or a partner who has somehow demonstrated unconditional acceptance and has promised to share all of themselves, all of their resources so that we can help one another accomplish a mutual goal. How many know we're co-heirs together? We're, we're uh, partners in, in, in the gospel together with God. Did you know that? And, and so he's just as interested in getting his purposes in the earth as you are. And he wants to show himself that way. The greater the personal need in my life, anyway, the longer I desire to talk. I'm beginning to learn this with my wife. Sometimes my wife... I never understood this, but sometimes my wife needs to just talk, and she needs to talk longer because her need is greater, and she's not happy until she talks it through, and neither am I, and I won't be happy until I let her talk it through. It's true, but I'll tell you what, if that's the same in marriage, with your best friend, how much more do you think it is with God? We should be going to Him with our needs, with our situations, our issues, and, and having that conversation. The deeper the personal need is the longer we desire to talk. Sometimes we need to talk this thing out. We need to get it clear. You see, the deeper and more secure your friendship, the greater the willingness is to share our deepest grief, to share our deepest need. Some people go before God. They don't share anything. They just... They're just throwing stuff up there, hoping that, hey, they can stonewall or they can, they can somehow uh, you know, smokescreen, and that God doesn't see through it all. God sees everything. He doesn't see the prayer. He sees your heart. Just tap your neighbor and say, I'm an individual. He's just telling me everything I know. Now, what, what is, what's the difference between individual prayer and then corporate prayer? Corporate prayer is when we come together, a group of people come to talk to our mutually admired friend 
who has all the resources of the universe to address our deepest need. We gather to express our deepest gratitude for his friendship and to thank him and to praise him for all the things he's done in our past, to worship him for who he is and what he's done and who he, who, who he is yet to be. We adore him, we communicate, and we tell him that we have a desire to continue in friendship and fellowship with him. Here's my question. Does your prayer life reflect that kind of relationship? Is it relational? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Or is your prayer life filled with language that is foreign to your normal conversation? I listen to some people pray, and it's and by the way, if I say this and it offends you, uh, I'm not trying to offend you, but sometimes a message will offend you. If you don't get offended, come up after the service, I'll personally offend you. <laughs> but I've heard people pray prayers that become almost embarrassing, because you would never talk to a human being. If my son came to me and talked to me the way some of you pray to God, it would embarrass me. Oh, Father, 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 uh, we love you, Father. We, Father, Father, you're the most precious Father. Father, we just, Father, you did, what, excuse me. Excuse me. What? Father, 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 Father. Every other, every other word is Father, Father. Yeah. And yes, Father, we love Father. And Father, we, we, we praise you, Father. And, and, and we ask you, Father, for your blessing upon our lives, Father. And Father, we think you're wonderful, Father. And you're... Excuse me? Excuse me. If my son or daughter did that to me, I'd say, excuse me, excuse me. What, what, what are you talking about? Just speak to me. Speak to me. Shut up. <laughs> Your father. Yes, I get that. You only need to say it once. That's all. If you just read the Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He didn't say our Father, our Father, our Father, our Father, our Father. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, I know it's, pro it's probably you, you're young in the Lord or you're nervous, and, and, and that's, those are, you know, sometimes we get what we call, you know, preachers do this. They get thinking place spaces. But you have to train yourself. You have to train yourself to speak what's in your heart. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I think we've all been guilty of it, so if you're still at that stage, that's okay, but grow through it. Amen? Then we take on these cliches. You know, there was a whole season where uh, in, the, in the Pentecostal churches, uh, in fact, it, we, we called it the Shondai Club because everybody in their tongue would be Shondai, Shondai, Shondai. I'm thinking, <laughs> and I'm not sure where it came from, but I'm sure they heard some great man of God use Shondai in his prayer language, and then everything was Shondai, Shondai, Shondai. After, and, and it's like, so, you know, you could tell where the camp they came out of was, you know, and, and, and you know, I don't, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against speaking in tongues. I think we should pray in tongues. But some of you have memorized your tongue. You're no longer praying out of your spirit. You're just, it's a memory thing. Hello? Some of you have gotten really good at it. Now, now all of a sudden you have a rhythm to it. It's very impressive. You've got to dance with it. Guys, guys. 
We don't speak in tongues to impress each other. <laughs> I tell, I, 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 after 40 years of being in the church and watching all this, it's like, all right, guys, can we just get real a little bit? Can we go back to, look, I believe in speaking in tongues. I'm not against it. I'm not making fun of it. But I, I think that we've gone way beyond what God designed all these things for. And it's important that we go back to biblical roots. We go back to the foundations of why and how. And what was the purpose of prayer in the first thing, in the first place? I, I always tell this story about going to prayer meetings and I hear people rattling off in tongues, loudly proclaiming the promises but there's no heart connection. You can almost see that it's just like, and I, I, I'm always tempted to go up and say, what, what are you praying about? What's in your mind? Because you sound like you're mindless. You're just praying in tongues. It's just rattling around in there. But what do you actually, see, it doesn't do any good to pray in the spirit, to pray in tongues if you don't have a focus in your mind and in your heart of what you're praying about. Have, have any of you ever been? We've all been guilty of it. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm just as guilty as you, okay? But have you ever been to a prayer meeting where somebody's just rattling away in tongues? In fact, they're totally oblivious to what's going on. It's like, the, it's like in a prayer meeting when the one person, it's still, but the one person, Holy Spirit, why are you clapping? Can you not feel that the Holy Spirit is being settling on us? And you, No, you're going to clap. Why? I think it has to do with drawing attention to yourself. Or the whole place is quiet. But no, no, Sister Wonderful has to ululate. Excuse me, excuse me. You just scared the heck out of me. I just lost five years of my life. That is not what the Holy Ghost is doing right now. And I know you're blessed, but that's not the appropriate response. That's something you learned. Okay, just tap your neighbor, say, yeah, thank you. Just tell your neighbor, I think his preaching is better than your amening this morning. See, the most important thing that we understand about prayer is that we have to have a heart connection to the one that we're praying to. And we need to be sensitive to what he's doing and what is going on, especially in corporate prayer, okay? Let's just reflect a little bit on Jesus' prayer life, because I, and this may be good teaching for you for your church, because this is probably the best model that we have is to look at Jesus, how he prayed. You see, prayer was an integral part of Jesus' life. Why? Well, because his relationship with his father was at the center of his life. Amen. He says, I do nothing, but I see my father do it. I do nothing, but I hear my father say it. I only do what my father tells me to do. Well, I'll tell you, that's, that, that's a statement that scares the heck out of me. Because that's the model that we're supposed to follow. Now, the fact of the matter is that we could probably take all the recorded prayers in the Bible that Jesus prayed and recite them in, in less than 10 minutes. Think about that. But the Bible records that prayer 
permeated his entire life. He prayed, and I'm going to give you a few points. He prayed before difficult and impossible tasks. Before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he prayed. It says in John 11, 41, 42, it says, And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may, that they may believe that you sent me. He prayed in front of the people so that they would know that God sent him. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can look that up. It's three different places in the Bible, Luke, Matthew, and John. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he prayed so much, and he sweat great drops of blood before he vision in prayer. He overcame in prayer. He chose his disciples after pray. He went to a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer, the Bible says. Then he came down, and he chose 12 to be apostles. He also prayed in difficult times. Difficult times. His first and his last words on the cross were prayers. During the 40 strenuous days of temptation in the wilderness, he warded off the enemy and resisted temptation through prayer and fasting. He prayed after a difficult and trying day. Mark 6.46 says, And after bidding the crowd farewell, he departed to a mountain to pray. Well, I'll tell you what, sometimes after I've had a hard and difficult day, I'm looking for bed. I'm not looking to go pray. But no, not Jesus. He knew. He knew where to refuel, and it wasn't sleeping. It was before his father. Prayer. He prayed during times of joy and success. He blessed and gave thanks to God. When he multiplied the loaves, he blessed it and thanked God for the multiplication. Also, he wasn't limited to where he prayed. He wasn't limited uh, to the location. He prayed at a number of places. He went to the Jordan River, and he prayed in the Jordan River when he was being baptized. He prayed in solitary places, Mark 135. He prayed in the desert, Luke 442. He prayed in the wilderness, Luke 5, 15 through 16. He prayed in the mountains, Mark 6 and 46. He prayed on the Sea of Galilee. He spoke to the storms and they ceased. The Bible says he had a certain special place that he prayed in in Luke 11.1. 1. He had a special place that he loved to go pray in. He even taught that, hey, when you go into your closet to pray, there's a place to pray. There's a place of solitude. He played at various times, and he prayed with different durations. The Bible says, Jesus prayed in the morning, a great while before dawn, in Mark 1.35. He prayed all night, in Luke 6.12. He prayed for special needs. Remember when he prayed for Peter? He said, I prayed for you, that your faith would not fail you. He says, the devil desired to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. For our brothers, where the devil gets into their lives. He prayed in the evening. He prayed in the daytime. He prayed long. He prayed short. He prayed continually. In fact, present day intercession is continually on our behalf. In Hebrews 7, verse 25, it says, Wherefore, he is able also to make intercession for them. He's interceding for you and I right now. Continually interceding. And he's our model. He's our example. He prayed with varied intensity. The Bible says he prayed with great joy. He prayed with thanksgiving. He interceded with great drops of blood and sweat. He prayed with heartbreak. The Bible says he wept 
over the city of Jerusalem, praying for it. Oh, how I would have loved to gather you like a chick gathers, like a, like a hen gathers its chicks under its wings. He said, but you would not have me. You have rejected. And he wept. He prayed with loud cries, the Bible said, and he prayed under his breath. He prayed alone. He prayed with others. He prayed for others. The purpose of our prayer. See, prayer is meant to facilitate intimacy with God. That's what it's really for, is that we become intimate with him. Prayer fosters a humble dependence on God. The Bible says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Well, the way you do that is through prayer. Prayer and prayers further God's work. John 14, verses 12 through 14 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, he shall also do. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And whoever shall, and whosoever you shall ask, and, excuse me, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Whatever you ask, I'll do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you shall ask, if you shall ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Boy, I tell you what, that's prayer. We share in the work of God together. What is it that God wants you to be praying for? What are we asking for? Also, prayer is something that fortifies our soul against temptation. In Matthew 26, verse 41, it says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, there's a correlation between fasting and prayer and temptation. And if you want to get over the temptations, if you want to get over the fleshly appetites that are controlling your life, fast regularly. In fact, if you, if you study fasting, you'll find out that Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. When you fast. He expects us to be fasting and fasting regularly. Why? Because the only way you're going to control physical appetites, and there's three appetites you have to control physically. You have to control your appetite for food, your appetite for drink, and your appetite for sex. And the only way you can do that is through prayer and fasting, is, is by putting your flesh under. It's prayer that facilitates peace in your heart and your mind. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with all thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto, unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. These benefits are important. And I think it's important that we meditate on these, as, as pastors, especially as leaders. It's important that we go back over, and I'll make these notes available for anybody that wants them. I mean, you know, I've done the research, but you guys may as well have the, the benefit of it. You know, these scriptures are powerful, and, and if you meditate in them, they, they'll help you. They'll help you understand what prayer is for and what it's about. We have access to pray only for one reason. There's only one reason we can even have access. It's because of Christ's work on the cross at Calvary. We enter boldly before the throne of grace on the basis of the blood of Jesus. We're covered under the blood of Jesus. We only have access because of what Christ has done for us. That blood of Christ is very important. We have right standing, not because of our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. 
He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. We have a relationship. The Bible says that we are fellow heirs of the grace of God, co-heirs with Christ. And we do that through the name of Christ, through the name of Jesus Christ. Our access can be affected by our walk as believers. This is something that frightens me. Now, there are some personal issues that affect our communication with God. Just like there's personal issues that affect your communication with your wife or your husband. They don't sever your relationship with God, but they strain the dialogue. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God will never reject you. But there are certain actions and attitudes that strain any relationship. And we have to learn to demonstrate a humble submission as opposed to a proud self-reliance. Many Christians are very proud, very self-reliant. God says, no, I want you to come before me, come humbly before me. Some of our prayers are telling God what he's going to do. And there's a time to command things to pass. There's a time to command things. The voice of the king commands the thing and it comes to pass. And I, but I don't think it's commanding God to do something. I don't think it's commanding angels to do something. I think it's making a command in a sphere that God's giving you authority over. Our attitude must be one of thankfulness. The Bible says that one of the worst things in the world is unthankfulness, the Bible says. We must be seeking God's cause and not our own comfort. I'm surprised at how many Christians are only praying about their comfort. What, God can do, what has God done for me lately? What can God do to alleviate my pressure, my pain? God sometimes leaves you in pressure and pain so you can learn a lesson. There are tests of God. Did you know that I have 21 tests of God that I often teach about? 21 different tests that God puts you through. We hate tests, but God will test you. We have to desire God's glory versus our gain. His purity versus our impurity. We must be willing to obey and have an active response to the word as opposed to being apathetic and slow to obey. God gives us commands. We need to be quick to obey. When I was growing up as a little child, my, my mom, we were good Catholics, I have to understand. And my mom used to say, you know, God looks for instant obedience. Instant obedience. Instant obedience. I thought, well, what does that mean, instant obedience? Well, I didn't quite understand it back then. I understand it today. We miss opportunities when we don't obey God. When we procrastinate. When we think our way, prophets and four sisters and four brothers and mom and dad... What do you think? If you hear his voice, obey him. You don't need a second opinion. We have to be responsive to the needs of others. You can't have an indifferent heart towards those around us, whether they're believers or unbelievers. So many people live just for themselves and their family, their immediate family. That's kind of showing a culture, isn't it? That's why cell groups are so important. That's why church is so important. All of a sudden, your family enlarges. and Some people say, oh, I don't like to go to church. It's just a bunch of hypocrites there. Yeah, well, join the club because you're one of them. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, God, your Christian walk with other in this melting pot, and we start rubbing each other. All of a sudden, you have to live out your Christian walk with other people that are just as ungodly as you are although you think you're perfect. 
They do too. And then all of a sudden we rub each other. Different backgrounds, different values, different settings, different, different experiences. And, and, and boom, we, we're, and we're rubbing the rough edge. And we're having to figure out and grow. You can't be indifferent about it. Our lives have to be in pursuit of harmony. Not causing dissension. How many of you find that you're surrounded by strife? Could it be that you're creating it? Is it quiet in church this morning? I don't know. <laughs> maybe this is the wrong message. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should be talking about something else. It has to be about God's will, not my desires or my impulses or my grumbling. Our response has to be one of faith versus one of doubt and unbelief. See, doubt and unbelief will hinder your prayers and hinder your relationship with God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews says. It has to be about persistence, which is in opposition to being passive. Perseverance always outlasts persecution. You have to persevere through some things. We don't like these words sometimes. We, we, we feel like, you know, I just want a quick fix. Give me a quick answer. Praying in the Spirit versus praying in the flesh. And I'll tell you what, it's just because you pray in tongues doesn't mean you're in the Spirit. That's not in the Spirit. Sometimes that's just something you memorize, something you, you do. It gives you a goosebump, but it has nothing to do with actually being in the Spirit. The spiritual realm is a connection with God. It's, it's in your heart is in the right place. I know people that are praying in the Spirit about cursing somebody. They're praying in tongues, I should say, and they're trying to curse somebody, thinking that their prayer is going to change that person. They owe me money. I'm going to pray till God crushes them. That isn't even the Spirit of God. The Bible says if somebody steals from you, forgive them. Let it go. Release them. I'll tell you what, you'll do more by releasing a person, let God deal with them, than you do by your unforgiveness. And all the prayer in the world that way is actually cutting off a relationship with God. Is this okay, what I'm talking about? Like you're all out there, you know, a little nervous. Well, let's talk about some of the promises around prayer, concerning prayer. There are at least nine promises about asking and receiving recorded by John alone. There's seven in his Gospels and two in one John, two, two, two verses in 1 John. And uh, let me just read these passages. I think it's important that we understand, you know, that uh, God makes incredible promises concerning our prayer. John 14, verses 12 through 18 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. See, this, it just, sometimes we like to read that first part. If you ask anything in my name, but he said, but if you, he, it's qualified. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. That he may be able to, uh, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because they, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, 
But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will, leave, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Well, I tell you what, what a promise that God says, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. I'll send you a comforter. I'll send you somebody to be with you, to guide you, to lead you. That word comforter is the word paraclete. It has a ninefold uh, meaning. It means one who guides. It means a lawyer, a judge. It means the one who draws alongside to help. It means one to comfort, one to bring peace. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very powerful, powerful word in uh, the Greek language, very weak in the English language. But you need to understand who the comforter really is, who he is to us. And, and see, these are promises God gave us in, about prayer. He says if you, in John 15, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. And it will be given to you of your Father. It will be done for you. Herein, my, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. God desires you to bear much fruit, but that doesn't happen without an abiding relationship in the vine. You abide in Him and His Word abides in you. I was saying last night that so many of us today have 8 to 12 hours a day on this device. And then we wonder why we're fearful. We wonder why we're confused. We wonder why we don't hear the voice of God. Because you're not abiding in the Word. You're abiding in whatever this is. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of disinformation, a lot of misinformation on this. A lot of stuff to confuse you. A lot of stuff to divert you. Sometimes the fastest way to discouragement, the fastest way to destruction is through diversion. A distraction is the road to destruction. Easy path. It's not the it's not the well-worn path. It's the straight and the narrow path. It's a it's a harder path. John 15 says it this way: If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may remain in you, that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that, he, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. John 16, 24, hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. 1 John 3, verses 14 and 15. We know that we, have, we love the past from death unto life because we love the brethren. Because we... Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You see how these things are all connected to the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And yet, where has the church gone in our prayer life? Conquering nations. I believe that God will give us the, the, the role to speak into 
national issues and things like that. But sometimes we're so far out there speaking things, and I'm saying, hey, if, if, if we were binding the principalities over Zimbabwe as much as you think we are, why do we still have the most corrupt government we've ever had in the world? The Bible doesn't say that they're going to know that we're Christians by how powerful we are in our prayer, in our prayer over the nation. They're going to say by the way we love each other. <laughs> Thank you for those three claps, those three weak claps. <laughs> First John 5, 14 through 17. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, so I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, but there is a sin unto death. So I want to look more closely at this, but I think I'll pick it up tomorrow because tomorrow I'm going to go into great depth on the sin unto death. And I want you to understand something. It's not that God doesn't want you to pray for a person that's sinning a sin unto death. It's just that God can't answer that prayer because that man's made a choice to sin that way. Are you, are you following me? Now, the Bible says for those people, sometimes we need to go to them and we need to try to snatch them out of the fire. We need to do all we can. But there is a sin unto death. Now, I'm going to touch that. It's not as easy as you think. I've tried to study all the commentaries and nobody really has it down to what that sin really is. And some people are very adamant. Others are like, well, let's not be too quick to make that judgment. But we'll deal with three different points of view on that tomorrow. Okay? But the, the purpose for this is not to focus on the sin unto death, but to focus on our response to our brothers and sisters, how we are responsible one for another to help love each other, to guide each other, and, to, and, and that we, we, we are really our brother's keepers. And if the church is going to be what it's supposed to be, we need to really take on this heart of compassion, this heart of love, and pray, pray, pray one for another. We're going to save more people by our prayers than we are by our criticism, our judgments, our chastising, our rebuking. There's a time to rebuke. There's a time to chastise. There's a time to spank. But there's a great response that starts with prayer. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.